Welcome to episode two of the Alt Brow Podcast. Today we speak with Krista Scruggs, good friend of mine. We used to do a podcast together called Gravity. She's going to continue on with Gravity. Uh, in the next couple months, she's going to get her first episode going. Krista is currently working her way into the wine industry, taking classes here in the Bay Area. And today we speak about what it means to her as a queer woman of color navigating her way into this industry. Thank you for listening. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this one. This is probably going to be the first in a series of uh, slightly more serious subject matter, but we still have a good time. And uh, I will say, when we posted the picture of me and Krista drinking the E40 malt liquor, and you'll see when when we get into it why we chose that beverage, we posted it on Instagram and E40 actually liked it. So, Mr. Earl Stevens, if you're listening and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, we'd love to have you. If you ever want to do a alt brow collaboration, malt liquor, or a wine. If you guys don't know, he's actually got a couple of great wines out there. If you don't know who E40 is, you got to get up to speed on your uh, Bay Area hip-hop. So, again, thanks for listening. This is episode two with Chris the Scruggs. Enjoy. I don't know where it's weird. I was like nervous for this. I think I don't know. I guess it's good for me to talk, so I don't. Uh, so I can actually be in a flow when we do talk. Um, I've been navigating like one. This is gonna be. I'm gonna have this conversation so many times. Yeah, this is and, like the come next up. like as long as well, I'm your in whole this, career. my whole career. This is gonna be a conversation I'm gonna of, have. Yeah. have to have. The and rest like, of your whole career. I need to not be annoyed by it. No. I'm not annoyed at you, no, but no, I'm no, annoyed no. like that, that this is going to happen, and I'm the, a, I'm very fact, aware of that. Yeah, the fact that it is a thing <clears> and that you have to deal with. Yeah, and I'll bring up an experience that I had like when I was flying back from Istanbul. Yeah, well, I have some questions about just as far as your your time away. That's I have some okay. stuff written down. So good. So I don't have to like you're going to lead everything. Am I just going to be answering questions? Well, for the we've most already part? started. So oh, wait. <laughs> let's talk about a little bit about our background, how we got to know each other. You know, we met. Well, I guess we're mutual friends, but as far as our, our love affair with wine and beer, I got started working in the beer world a couple of years ago. And then like when, you know, when did you like totally fall in love with wine? When did you pick up that that's something you really wanted to do? It was a couple of years ago as well. I was working corporate for a big company and realized while working for a said company that it was reiterated to me that I would never want to work corporate. But I, like any love affair, I found myself falling in love with wine. Um, the position that I had, I spent my day half in the lab and the other half working with winemakers and learning the whole process of winemaking, even corporate winemaking at that. I just found it very interesting and realizing, which I don't think most people realize that winemaking is one part farming, another part science, depending what type of winemaker you are, if you are all natural or you do treat your wine. And then another part, of course, Mother Nature, I think that's more involved in farming. Right. Anyway, um, and I fell in love and I just quit working, stopped working corporate and decided that I wanted to pursue winemaking. That's cool. So you mm -hmm. had some experiences, not just in the U.S., like you're currently in taking classes, but also you did harvest in France and Italy? Yes, How I did. Tell us about that. So last year, it's been, I think, about a year, I started domestically doing uh, pruning in Washington. And that's when I 
I think I made my mind for sure that this is something I'm going to pursue. And then I applied for workaway programs in Europe. I knew I wanted to explore international terroirs um, and not and then explore not only just new world wines, also old world wines. Um, and so I was matched with two winemakers, one in the south of both south of Italy and then south of France. The, I, the harvest happened actually mostly in France when I was in the cohorts. And when I was in um, Italy, it was more cellar work and preparation for harvest. And I don't think most people realize how much work goes into it. I had eight. And in France, I think we've had conversations about this. You see like my Instagram feed or social media feed about with my experience in Italy drinking compared and cheese, <laughs> compared drinking and cheese, drinking and cheese <laughs> to my to, compared to my um, my work at and uh, in, in France during harvest. It was a whole different ball game, but uh, it's an op- it was an opportunity that I know many people would have loved to have, and I and I learned so much even without. The language barrier. I didn't speak French at the time, and the winemaker did not speak English. But we were still able to communicate through basic. I guess you could say this osmosis <laughs> and, and love of wine. Yeah, and love of, and love of wine. Yeah. So uh, you're taking classes now here in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um. What tell us about those? Like, what's the um, name of the class or who's through the program? Currently, I'm enrolled in the UC Davis winemaking uh, certificate program. So I'm not. I think there's one route you could go and you could get your your knowledge, your, your degree in enology or in viticulture. I'm doing the UC Davis Wyoming certificate program, which I decided to go this route because one is having an, a couple years in the industry already and then having hands-on experience. I didn't feel I needed to go the route of getting my degree. I feel that I will to succeed um, without that, but having being backed, having a UC Davis, having a certificate at UC Davis and the role that UC Davis plays in the wine industry and the respect that comes along with that. I think I just thought it would make my career that much easier, especially being a woman of color, a queer woman of color. Um, I just felt that if I find it necessary that I have to over play at times over, um, Prove yourself. Prove myself. Right. Because of lack of representation of a woman. Right. Queer and of someone color. of color. Yeah. <laughs> so in your how many uh people in your class uh fit the stereotypical look of a, a wine well, well what is exactly because I can tell you about the beer world, I'm sure you know, but mm-hmm. what is the stereotypical look of a of a viticulture and analogy uh student or or winemaker? Typically cis white male, okay. <laughs> cis cetera right. white male. Right, maybe a little bit skinnier than brewers, <laughs> right? Uh, beer brewers, but still similar. And then, how many people? Uh, how many women or people of color? Or pe- you know, di- you know, of different demographics are in your class right now? Right now, women of color. I am the only woman of color. Right. Um, women. There are. There are two. There are four. Actually, there's one other woman of color, an age woman, and there are four other women in a class of almost 30. Right. So that tells you the demographics. Right exactly. <laughs> um, before we get into the too much of the heavy stuff, I, I, you know, you have also recently fallen in love with beer. I have. Uh, and you, what's, what's your regular <laughs> spot? If you want to give a shout out to any of, the, of your favorite 
Oh, shout out one time to the Good Hop off of Telegraph <laughs> in Oakland. My that is my That's go-to place. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I much respect to, of course, Beer Revolution. Um, much respect to any woman-owned, especially in the wine or beer industry, which Beer Revolution is woman-owned, and so is the Good Hop. But I have you just love the Good Hop. Deep affection <laughs> for the Good Hop and everyone that works there as M- well, Monty, Monty and, and Maureen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm glad that you're coming around to getting to know that beer is a better beverage than wine. So I'm glad that that's <laughs> happening. Um, so now we've talked about, you know, the demographics in your class. What about when you did go to Europe and you were doing a harvest? I mean, what did you feel as far as the norm in those, in those cultures? Or did you feel different? Did you feel more accepted, less accepted? What was your experience in, in, uh, in Europe? I think just like anything else and, my experience, a person of color, color experience, a queer person, person of color's experience in Europe is going to be completely different than that in America. And I was actually in preparation for this this podcast. I did want to make it um, make a point that I think I, can, I could. I, th- I think I want to speak more on my experience in America because it's just culturally different in Europe. I didn't. I never. Compared to in America, I feel like my race was never something I was actually I'm more aware of my race being American than I am and when I was in Europe. And with that being said, that crossed over even when being in the working in the vineyard vineyards and meeting people in the wine industry in Europe, I it was never I didn't feel necessarily out of place. And I know that may sound strange, but it just I just never felt that that was ever, I didn't, that was not on my mind when I was there. One being, it's funny because I took a flight back and I met someone whom actually works for at UC Davis and he made it a point to make it clear that he was aware that I am not represented in this industry as a woman of color. Right. And that was the first time my race was ever brought up. It right. was from an American in the industry flying right. back to America. So that gives, if that gives some context. Yeah. How do you feel when somebody, uh, oh, a cis male, like becomes aware of it and acknowledges it and like acknowledges, like, is it, do you look at it in a way as like, you know, thank you for acknowledging it? Or do you look at it and like, um, you know, I don't need you to acknowledge it or what's your, how do you feel when, when that comes up? Like, look, I'm, in this situation too, I invited you here because I am uh, the typical beer guy. I am a chubby white guy wearing <laughs> flannel with a beard. But at the same time, the, you know, being friends with you, we've got a long history. We've done podcasts together. Right. We've we've covered these subjects on and off air, and with a lot of alcohol in our systems. <laughs> and uh, and but the fact is, like, I'm aware of it, and I and it is something that for for Altbrow that I did want to talk about. I think this is probably going to be the beginning of a small series. Of, of talking about people who are either miss or underrepresented in the beverage industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're going to be doing your podcast as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you'll cover some of that too. Maybe <laughs> with, with a little bit, you know, tipping, you know, 70, 30 into the wine, I'm 70, 30 into the beer. Right, right, yeah, right, so. right, right. Yeah. But how do you, how does it make you feel when, when somebody else has to kind of acknowledge it? Like they're the ones that have to bring it to the table. Of course, in a perfect world, which will, this role will never be, uh, I would not like to be the main fo- like topic, the focal point when I'm, as I navigate through this industry. And I even before, I don't know where you started recording, but I brought it up that even preparing for this, it hit me that I'm going to have to have this conversation 
many, many, times. many, many times. <laughs> and I need to check myself. And I think instead of being annoyed, take it as an opportunity to actually have a voice as being a person of color, a woman and queer and entering a very homogenized industry. With this particular individual, he I felt that he was coming from his intent was coming from a good place right. uh, to wrap it up, to like to bring it all together. In the end, he gave me his contact informa- information and email, and I will utilize that information, that that contact information, and use utilize that connection as I navigate myself through this industry. And I think his intent was acknowledging that one, especially people of color, um, are not one represented in this industry at all, the advertised or marketed to, and don't just have an opportunity where someone's saying, hey, you're navigating yourself to this industry. Let me help you because I'm a person of power that can help you. And and that's exactly what he did. And that's how I saw it. So I wasn't um, necessarily offended. offended. No. And we had we had a 13-hour flight back and uh, we t- talked quite, about, uh, quite a bit. And his questions were... I, I was never offended at any time. I sincerely felt that he was acknowledging that I don't have representation in this industry and he is someone who can assist with that. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, so you want to talk more about your experience here in the United States, obviously. Right. I mean, that's home for us. But uh, don't look at the notes. I see you peeking at my <laughs> notes here. Um, so when you're here in the Bay Area, um, do you feel a little bit that there's a little bit more acceptance. I mean, when we go to Good Hop or Beer Revolution or any of these spots, I, um, I'll i put it out there and say I think Oakland and the greater Bay Area, but spe- specifically Oakland, mm-hmm. is a lot different than maybe the rest of the country. Absolutely. Um, you know, before... I, I came here well, before you came over. I was over at Beer Revolution having a quick beer, mm-hmm. and yeah, and I and I and knowing I was going into this podcast, I was like, I'm gonna do a little head count, and yeah, there was a um, one other black woman there. There was, you know, like three black dudes there, and then a variety of of every kind of you know, a lot of uh, uh, ethnically diverse and. Also, just unclear. You can't even tell. Like everyone is so blended mm-hmm. in Oakland. That's I think that's part of the reason why we love it here. Absolutely. Um, I but I do suspect, and from my short travels, I suspect it's not like that everywhere else. Yeah, it's that. It's not. Um, there's I think even in Oregon, there's a documentary coming out called Red, White, and Black from a winemaker, a black male winemaker in Oregon, and the documentary is about people of color, people within the LGBT community who are winemakers in Oregon. I think he's actually, with the Vintage Association Oregon, the only registered black winemaker in Oregon. And there's a lot of winemakers And there's a lot of winemakers (laughs) in Oregon. And I think in Napa, out of all the wineries there, there are 20 uh, winemakers Mm -hmm. in Napa, registered winemakers in Napa. And granted, we're in Oakland, so there aren't any wineries here. However, there are a lot of wine shops, going back to Good Hop, which is owned by a queer woman. Um, which I find as a safe place. And I think that's probably why I gravitate, gravitate that to that, to, towards there and there and where it's located. I see a lot of women and people of color and people with the LGBTQ community there. And it's nice to see yourself reflected. reflected. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't have that problem. I can pretty much go into any bar exactly. in the United States. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're in a we're in a fortunate place to be living here in Oakland, and we have 
so many great bars so close to us. You know, one big thing is you know, you were talking about marketing uh, and, and being marketed too. So I have, as you can see, there's a microphone set up behind me pointed at the TV. I'm going to do my best to pick up the audio. But this is a commercial from okay. the, I believe, like the 1970s or 80s for malt liquor. And we're going to talk about, you know, marketing and products that are marketed to uh, the African American community. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna, I want to, we're gonna watch this. I want to see what your opinion is, real quick. So I let did me, not know this was happening. <laughs> let me get this uh, queued up. Just okay. So. What's going down besides beer? Oh, oh! Then I'll turn this place into a car wash. The Schnitz Malt Liquor Bowl got more taste than beer, more quality ingredients than premium beer. Bowl does have more taste than beer. What is the truth? I thought you were going to do like a Colt 45 no, like, I mean, commercial. That's the classic. Yeah. But the thing is, Billy D. Williams is actually a classy motherfucker. That's not, it's not, there's, I don't, I don't feel like there's any overt uh, offensiveness or racism. Versus, no. Now this commercial was a little bit funnier to me mm-hmm. uh, because it was, it's, it's like an actual reflection of what you would see in like a typical beer commercial, which would be um, not uh, eight or nine out of ten people white, and then you've got the token black friend in the background. On this one, of you course. literally see the two jive honkies in the background of the '70s, like soul, <laughs> you know, black exploitation vibe kind of uh, malt liquor commercial. Right now, there's a uh, a new malt liquor on the market from E40, and I wanted to ask your opinion of: Do you feel that? Do you feel like? Uh, this is something that is a positive uh, addition to a market by having somebody who is, you know, part of the greater community actually being behind it, mm-hmm. and, or is it really a negative in the sense of keeping keeping old stereotypes alive? Absolutely not, because we also have to remember that E Forty, aka Earl Stevens, also has three wines that are out there that he released three years ago, which is a very smart move. And it's, I think it's awesome that there is someone of color and also in the hip hop community and, and the reach that he has. And this is because of, of other, of people are not, because when you watch, for example, wine, you see wine ad, a white commercial, wine commercial, you're going to see affluent white people sitting in this expensive tasting room drinking wine. There are no, I don't remember the last time I actually saw a wine ad that contained people of color and they're not reaching out to people of color at all. And I, I read, I think there's a statistic out there that I read that African Americans in particular, um, I don't, I don't know if it's good. I think it's on African Americans. I could, and I could, we could fact check this whenever this gets blocked, but are 240% more likely to spend $20 or more on a bottle of wine, which most people will t- don't even, will spend like I think five to $10 on a bottle of wine or don't even want to even pay. And they're the buying power is there, but they're not even getting, we're not even getting market marketed to. And so with E40, that's one, that's someone who has reached within the black community and the hip hop community saying, hey, I have these three varietals and this is wine and you could, this is something you could drink too. This is, this, you could participate in this particular culture. And with him releasing the Moloker beer, I think that's his way of trying to introduce, I wouldn't be surprised if a year from now he actually comes out with a craft beer because yeah. I think it, this is a way to introduce the black community to this realm of alcohol. That's it, not... It could definitely be introduced and I'm glad that you're interested because I'm about to open a bottle right now. 
of the E40. That's I, right. I haven't tasted it. <laughs> I know that um, the Good Hop did a Drake's versus E40, and I believe Drake's won. But that, I mean, that in itself, that a beer shop, one is also introducing the community to this other half of the of a malt liquor. We were in a craft beer shop, a respectable, respectable craft beer shop, and they were carrying a malt liquor by E40. And I think that's fucking awesome as well. And I, I, from, I didn't get to go to the event, but from what I saw, there was not, there was no sarcastic kind of judgment. It wasn't no. like a tongue in cheek, like, Oh, we're going to have this Drake's versus this shit stuff. They were, they really were like, they were actually trying to get E40 to show up. Exactly. Were, and I think that's very telling of where we're, if given an opportunity, people of color in this in, in the industry can actually make moves of given an opportunity, just like I said with anything else. And granted, it doesn't help that it's E40, so people are going to support I, that. I was going to uh, bring up some of his commercials for us to watch, but there's not as much um, dialogue over him. It's a lot more music. Mm-hmm. But I will say that he actually um, hit the mark as far as like diverse crowd. He has like you know, Hispanic dudes on skateboards. He mm-hmm. has black dudes on skateboards. He has people in the studio. He has people around a campfire, people at a barbecue. Like, he's he's hitting, like, what he's trying to do is, like, show diversity. And he's targeting the number one market that you should, which is millennials. millennials. Which, at this I feel they're, it's that's a whole different world that I feel like if you're a person of color navigating within the beer, craft beer, wine industry, and if you actually just tap into millennials, you're you're going to kill it. There you go. Well, hey, cheers. Cheers. I'm so excited to drink this. I've been wanting to drink it. Yeah, that. I'm pretty curious as well. It smells like a malt liquor, too. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's <laughs> definitely not trying to be anything else. What it's is not, that? What is ABV on this? 10. That's not bad. Yeah, so for six bucks, you get, or 650 or whatever, you get 40 ounces of 10%. And that price point, too. <laughs> yeah. Jeez Louise. But that goes back, if you look at some of the malt liquor history, there is, in my opinion, some, some, some dicey marketing from, you know, E40 is somebody of the community. Like I said, right. there's some people who are definitely not from the community that are that are marketing in some funky ways. Absolutely. Yeah. So it is interesting that he can kind of put his spin on. At least it's like you know, kind of own it. You know. Right. And I think if you're going to just... sell it to me, then and 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 people like me, well, we're going to own it. Exactly. And I think just. He that will open the doors to certain liquor stores, corner shops, and particular neighborhoods to carry um, craft beers. Because he is gonna, th- I honestly, I would not be surprised if he, because if a craft beer is carrying his product and he's crossing over into that room, which I think this is his jump off, I think is only gonna open more doors for you could go to a certain liquor store in a neighborhood and actually find, even if it's a a six pack of Lagunitas, which there's certain liquor stores. I know I cannot go there and I, and I cannot find craft beer yeah, at they all. They still, I mean, right here in Oakland, let alone if you start hitting those spots off the freeway and stuff. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, but even in, in, you know, areas of Oakland where there's definitely neighborhoods that, yeah, you're not going to find, you know, you're lucky to find, you know, imports like exactly. Newcastle or something. Right. Um, so what do you think of this? It's really not bad. It's, I would, dr- as I mean, as far as the malt liquors go, I mean, I would pay $6 to like brown paper bag this and chill at the lake and drink it. Exactly. I would. I would. That's the price point is, I think, what's. I think that's what he's going for. Yeah. And that amount and it's 10%, you said? Yeah. Jeez Louise. 10%. Yeah. So E40, if you're listening, you ever want to come on the show? <laughs> let's let's talk. And uh, if uh, Altbrow opens a bar, which is long term goal sometime down the line, yeah. uh, I will definitely carry your product. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so are you familiar with Garrett Oliver from Brooklyn Brewing? 
No. So Garrett Oliver is really well known for um, essentially pairing food with beer. He is uh, a, a really big guy in the culinary world, but he actually used to be uh, a manager f- uh, for a rock venue in England. Even though he's from the United States, he just studied in England. And then he came back over after getting exposed to the great beer in the UK, mm-hmm. came back and he started working with a um, former uh, reporter that did like, you know, war zone reporting and they opened up Brooklyn Brewing. And you, it's it's hard to find their beers in California. I don't believe they're distributed at all in California. Mm-hmm. But if you can get a bottle of the Sriracha Ace, it's real good. Sriracha Ace. Sriracha Ace. And now, now the thing is with uh, Garrett, he's one of those uh, individuals that he gets asked as like the biggest name in craft beer who is a black man. He mm-hmm. gets asked these questions the most, and he's gotten to a point where he's pretty annoyed with them. So you might, if you want to see how he handles it, but when, you know, you can look into your future a little bit. <laughs> um, he, you know, he, he doesn't so much divert attention away from it, but he makes sure that it's about the beer and about, right. And that's something I was also going to ask is, uh, you know, if you're somebody in the, uh, in the beverage field, and you do feel like you have a unique perspective. Do you feel that you need to um, really like put yourself out there and tell everyone that story? Or do you feel like you need to keep your head down and let the quality of your product speak? I think the quality, let my the quality of my product speak. I don't feel that I need to, especially in the wine industry, need to. I need to educate people as to why black people aren't represented in the wine industry. Yeah. If you just do your history, do your research. Or if you just look around. It's one, black people own 1% of farms, represent one by 1% of farming in America. That is due, if you go to history, with discriminatory policy and slavery. Going to what, our introduction to the wine industry, civil rights movement happened like a little over 50 years ago. At that point in time, Black people were not allowed to certain dine in certain areas. So if you just do your history, your research, it's common sense as to why we're not represented in this right. in this in this community. I would rather the focus be turned on how can we change this as opposed to me talking about as to why I think it is and this is not. I think it, I don't want to be known as. I would like my wine yeah, to answer your question. I would like my wine to speak for itself. I love that I will be able to represent women, people of color, and the queer community as being someone that's in this industry, but I don't do not want to talk about this. So you're all saying the like time. lead by example. Yeah. Is what you're basically exactly. saying. Exactly. Now and what do you think about Harlem Brewing? Uh Celeste Beatty uh started uh, Harlem Brewing and if you look at the imagery you know on their website and stuff, it's clear that they are doing you know, art shows in Harlem and they are, I mean, I would say 85% of the people in their pictures are, uh, are African-American. And so, so, but they don't, you'll never see it say on their marketing material, black owned. It won't say, you know, whatever, they're just doing it. Right. They're just leading, like, they're just there in those communities doing it. Because we are not, if, if, the industry were represented us and other advertising realms, realms, and we could see each other in ads, then there wouldn't be a need for that. They're doing that because we don't see ourselves reflected in any other target marketing of craft beer or in wines. When I move forward, when I navigate throughout the industry and eventually and hopefully will have my own, my, for example, my first vintage, how I want to advertise it, it would be, I, it's important to represent myself in that, which would be people, someone of color, people of color, queer, and, um, 
why am I forgetting who I am? And, and a woman. woman. <laughs> <laughs> but also inclusive to everyone else I don't, uh, uh, yeah. as well. I just think, I think that's awesome that they're doing that. I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Do you feel that despite you know, being underrepresented, do you feel that the wine and beer industries are, there is an inherent inclusiveness that, that it may not be represented currently, but, but underneath it, there is a, a tone of that everybody, everybody can be a part of this. I feel that drinking is one of those <laughs> biggest common things that we can all do together and it right. starts breaking down right. social barriers. I think both the bear, the craft bear, and wine industry is clearly very homogenous. Do I think it's on? Do I think there's room for it to change and it'll always be that way? No. I just think that you have to give people opportunity to navigate and be exposed. And that just starts with going back with the marketing and advertising and who they're talking. There's, they haven't, both industries have, I feel, have shown very little interest to market and target people of color. And I think it's going to take people like me and other people in the industry that are currently in industries, for example, the, the beer and company you're talking about, to do that, to change that. And I think it naturally will progress to be more inclusive. I don't think it's and – and it also goes back to the history of both industries, that there's a reason why it is there. I, don't, I think but that could be changed. Right. Am I answering the question? Did I answer that question properly? I, I think know. so. Okay. So um... – one thing is, you know, as a as a hopeful entrepreneur, somebody who wants to run a business, one thing to consider, and I wanted to see what your feedback was, um, in the article that I sent you, it's uh, on Thrillist.com from Dave Infante. He asked the question, uh, basically, who's drinking craft beer? Now, you kind of mentioned some of the numbers as far as the buying power in wine. Mm-hmm. Now, he kind of broke down that you know, the African-American community percentage-wise is not drinking as much craft beer. As an entrepreneur, do you feel that you would need to market to a group of people that is not currently as, as, as if hoping to get their, uh, their interest and to make them buyers? I mean, or do you feel that you would need to focus <laughs> your, your marketing towards people who are already in demographically already buying your product? Both. I mean, think about, for example... What happened with, for example, Patron, which is a shitty tequila. and Just kidding, Patron. If you want to sponsor the show, <laughs> let me know. And well, I, that's my, I I'm don't, just, I don't, I don't enjoy kidding. Patron. And, I don't enjoy tequila. And then, <laughs> there we go. And how the hip hop community affected that particular spirit. Rosé. There's a, there is, a, right now, there are people, I had a conversation with, a fellow person of color whom I know knows nothing about wine at all. But well, one thing that she does know is that she likes rosé. And that has been fed through people in the hip-hop community right? talking about rosé, rosé, popping bottles of rosé, rosé, rosé. Um, I guess the, what I'm around about trying to say is that if there's these people, these businesses, especially these people have the, the, the power to control um, mark, the marketing advertising and both industries, there'd be a full not there's I, I feel like they're being really foolish by not targeting these particular markets because it's they will buy it and they could just simply attach themselves to any which E40 I think is doing on his own without someone sponsoring him, he's doing on his own. But have someone within the community as a sponsor, as a spokesperson, and their sales I guarantee would jump a hundred, two hundred percent because they're tapping to an industry and then and then those products would be in this this Liquor, liquor stores or the grocery stores in those particular communities and then 
Yeah. Am I making sense? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, so both. I think it's necessary to do both. And also, if you, if you, some people, I don't think, care. Like, you may not, if you start your own beer brand, do you, do you care if people of color are drinking your beer? Do you care? I want everybody drinking my I beer. I know, but do you care enough to tap into that community? Are you going to be, are you that conscious? I, I don't think these people are that conscious. If their business is doing well, they're not sitting there. Hmm. Are we tapping into Are we this? tapping into this particular that people are how many people of color are drinking our beer? If their their business is successful, I don't I really don't think these people are losing sleep over the fact of who's drinking it. And I think that article more or less touched on that. Like right. does it matter? Yeah, that was one of the questions was does it matter? To answer your question is if I were to do something, I, I think it goes back to in, being inclusive. I think by setting your business up as far as the tone of your marketing and the way you put yourself out there is is basically saying, uh, you know, everybody's welcome. But that also, some of it is also kind of by omission. You have to think like, if you're not including, if you're not actively including people in your marketing material, if you're not actively including them in your culture, are you perpetuating the system as it right. exists? So that's or like, are that, you okay being in a homogenous industry, knowing? Right, right. Are you okay with that? And you've had the power to. Even if just a little bit change it, then like that's important to me. That I, for me to be inclusive to what, to me, who I am as a person, and of course everyone else as well. But being very self-aware, homogenous this industry is, I feel, as a responsible business owner and entrepreneur and as a human being, you should do your efforts to make it as inclusive, inclusive as possible. Right. Yeah. And I feel that you would do that. I trust that. I hope so. (laughs) Um, So we talked a little bit about Garrett Oliver at Brooklyn Brewing. We talked about Harlem Brewing, Celeste Beatty. They just got a deal with actually 39 Walmarts in the New York area to carry their beer. So they're going to have their beer right next to Mendocino and a few other uh, craft brands. Uh, I also want to... That's a big deal, too. Yeah. I also want to mention, if you get an opportunity to try 18th Street uh, from uh, Indiana, they actually got rated the number one brewery in Indiana. And I believe that's the same state that Three Floyds is in. So that's saying something. Really? Yeah. And so Drew Fox was a uh, someone who was working in the uh, hospitality field, went to Belgium, was staying at a hostel and fell in love with beer there, came back with like, holy shit, I need to start making beer. Mm-hmm. And I've only been able to find their stuff in uh, at a Berkeley Bowl here in the Oakland or Ber- in Berkeley. I found it at Berkeley Bowl West. Okay. And okay. Uh, in cans, saisons, different things like that. And it's everything I've had is delicious. So okay. check that one out if you get a chance. There's also, of course, Omnipolo. I don't know if you've have you ever heard of Omnipolo. No, you're teaching me things left and right here. So, <laughs> so this is awesome. So this... Uh, there's two guys, one behind the art, and I forget his name. He does all the labels, but he works together, of course, with the brewmaster and, and co-owner. Uh, his name is Hennick Fenty, and he actually came out with a beer. And, I, and unfortunately, we don't have it to drink here, but they came out with a beer called Yellow Belly. If you get a chance, let me. if you hand me my phone, I'll pull up a picture for you to see. The label? Yeah, so he worked with the artist that does his labels, and they actually did like a white piece of paper outside mm-hmm. with two holes put out and so and the top is wrapped around so it looks like, like a kkk uh, hood on the <laughs> bottle and it says yellow belly across it and a lot of stores did not know that the brewer is black and they they were like what the hell is this right you know? right 
that beer came out and there was a lot of stores that were actually taking the wrapping off, but underneath the wrapping, there was a description said, you know, yellow, yellow belly means, and it was like the definition, like coward. Right. And, right, and, right. and then uh, when they released the beer on their Instagram, they did the whole description on the bottom. They put hashtag fuck racism. That's very punk. That's punk rock as fuck. <laughs> so I love here's that. The, here's the picture. Holy I'm, shit. <laughs> I'm showing her the label. You're not joking. Yeah. So, and of course it's a stout, so it's black. It's a black beer. <laughs> I think that is... So, let's, so, so, so this goes back to the question of what I was saying was, awesome. um, can you make great product? Because this is a very highly rated beer right. taste wise, but still make a statement from your perspective. Absolutely. To have that power and do that. That's I, I think that this is, is beer is art. Yes, it is. And it's making a point, too. Oh, my God. I think that's awesome. Yeah. I wish, that I, is I, wish really I could find awesome. that bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it might look weird if I buy it, but oh, well. Actually, the next beer, if you want to finish up the last sip of the... We didn't kill a whole 40, by the way. We no. just sipped a little <laughs> bit of it. Uh, the next beer is from Omnipolo. It's not that one, but it's one of his other beers I wanted you to try. So that's ex- I'm, I'm excited because yeah. that beer, is beer awesome. <laughs> there is some pride that comes when you know you're drinking a beer from... Whether say it was a woman, a woman brewer, or even someone in the LGBT community, or a black right. or a black person, or any person of color for that matter, it's a sense of pride too that knowing that this group of people are so underrepresented and they're doing something pretty awesome. Exactly. Um, it's it makes you feel good, and it just makes the experience of that beer or that wine that much better. And it helps you, you know, know who you're supporting. Right. Um, Omnipole is an interesting one because it, he's what they call a gypsy brewer, although that term in itself has some inherent <laughs> racial undertones, so you got to be careful with that one, too. I think he's I doing think, that on purpose. This is no, like all... <laughs> no. You I, don't think no, he's doing no, that on I purpose? No, I think that that's just the, in- the industry term for it. Oh. So, like, so the, the folks at Grimm Ales mm-hmm. uh, in Brooklyn, they call it nomadic brewing, so it's a little bit... Gotcha. Okay, <laughs> Okay. So, I thought he was doing that as a tongue no, no, cheek no, thing. No, okay. that's like all like McKellar and Stillwater and all those breweries. The industry calls it gypsy brewing, but mm. yeah, it's not. He's not doing tongue in cheek. Has there been dialogue <laughs> about how problematic there has, that is? There that, has that, been that dialogue is? about okay. that one. Maybe that'll be a different show. Because actually, I am doing. A, I'm going to do an episode about gypsy brewing, alternating proprietorship, nomadic brewing, whatever you want to call it. There's. Um, you know, contract brewing, there's all these different things. So Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to be bringing a friend in that has some experience with those brands, brands that do that. That's awesome. So this beer is called Eniara, and it's a pale ale brewed with lemon juice, uh, 6%. The color is beautiful, and on the nose is pretty, very citrusy. Oh, yeah, it's actually really hoppy. Cheers. Yeah, cheers. What's that, ABV on this? 6%. Okay, you did say that, Okay. That's go. a perfect, like, I could see myself. <laughs> that's a perfect summertime. Like, yeah, the weather a, is nice right now. It's exactly what he said, you know, what it says it is. It's delicious. It's delicious. And, uh, yeah, he won recently at the Rate Beer Best Festival, same festival where 18th Brewing uh, won Best Brewery in Indiana. Mm-hmm. They recently won uh, in the top 200 breweries in the world out of, like, 2,600 that were in the ranking. Mm-hmm. They In the top 100 was Omnipolo. It, what particular no i mean it's so they judge ratebeer.com looks at all the beers they've ever oh. put out and how they're all judged like okay. the total rating on average for all their beers so you, you know you might make the best stout in the world but if all your other beers are shit you're not going to make that list his beers are so consistent consistently good and high rated that he was able to get ranked on the top 100 i like that rating system it's like that like that's uh, that's awesome i didn't know that that yeah. it operated in that it's way. the first year that they've done it uh publicly at, like at, a, at an event was this last year 
Gotcha. Um, so it'll be back. That leads me to, I remember the last time I remember, vividly remember out for pizza, I think about a year and a half ago. And you told me that a black woman had won. Was oh, yeah. that, am we I were, jumping the gun no, already? No, no, no. <laughs> we were going to, I had, I had the notes written down. I believe you're talking about Annie Johnson from Sacramento. Yeah. She won uh, best home brewer in the United States. And this is a, uh, a black woman in Sacramento. And she was like at the time taking care of her elderly mother when she got the phone call that she had won. And uh, now the sad part is if you do the research, she tried to get jobs before becoming like this minor celebrity. She was trying to get jobs all over the place in the brewing industry. And of course, mm-hmm. couldn't land one. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, she luckily, she's working with a company called Pico Brew that they're making these really cool um, homebrew systems that basically go right onto your uh, countertop. It looks, it's a little bit bigger than maybe a microwave, and you're and you can brew right there. Basically, everything's automated. And and it's like with her name on it, or no, is she's, like a- she's kind of like the unofficial sales rep, or like they'll do ads like in in brewing publications. There'll be a full page ad, and she'll be pictured with it. Saying gotcha. That she, I mean, she was the number one rated brewer uh, in the United uh, home brewer in the United States. And she stands by that product, so that says something. And she goes on tours with them and sell, you know, helps like trade shows and all that. And she does, I think, per the article that you sent to me prior to this podcast, uh, they're like dinner. She does like uh, brew, brew dinner, dinners. Yeah, I believe she does stuff in the Sacramento area <laughs> still. So okay, we should go. We should look up her schedule. See if she's got something going on. I would be totally down. So another thing I wanted to ask about is: Do you think you know we were talking about consumers? But as far as actual brewers or, you know, winemakers, do you feel like there's inherent racism in the, um, in the system as far as, you know, one of the points brought up in that Thrillist article was that, you know, it costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time to, to open a brewery or to, to start, you know, and it applies to a winery too. And like, it's right. pretty hard to get a loan when, you know, this is historically, it's historically known that, you know, Right. <laughs> you know, people of color are not uh, getting loans, not because they have bad credit, but because they're just being ignored. Exactly. And I think the, the McBride sisters are like these two women in the wine industry. Uh, both come from wine backgrounds and they have a brand right now and they touch a lot on that. And that's that's it's hard in general for a person of color entrepreneur to get a loan right. for something. And that is definitely going to be more even more. Um, highlighted within a, a homogenous industry, just as the wine and craft beer industry, and so yes, that does that has affected why I think there's a lack of people of color, especially in the wine industry, um, when you have to have land. And like I said, it be stated before, only one there's only one percent of farmers in America, and that's rooted through a, our history. And certain policies that prevented people of color from owning land. I don't. I, mean, I don't know. If people. I think people forget that winemaking is farming. <laughs> right. And there has there's there's some there's other there's routes you could take, but it, it it requires a lot of capital to start to be a brewer to own your own brewery and or become own your own winery. And there are things in place that will prevent you doing that, and we're a person of color. Right. And that's so it's innately yes ingrained ingrained in the system. In the so, system. And what do you think? What do you think the, the steps are that that the industry could take to start reversing these this you know homogenized in, you know um, kind of culture that that we've set up? I think it just it goes back to like for example the individual that I met who who is in an industry and he is 
self-aware of the fact that it is a homogenized industry and that he sees a young person of color trying to penetrate that industry. And he's saying, using his power and saying, I'm going to do what I can to make sure that this happens. And people utilizing that and making sure and being self-aware that it's a homogenized industry and doing what they can with their power to make it more inclusive. Because just like anything else inside, it's people, it's not the people of color that make the moves, it's the people who are, it's, it's usually the cis, cis hetero white males who can be, be the ones to make those moves. I'll do my best. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, there's anything you want to plug or anything, any upcoming things that you want to talk about? I know you've got some some stuff in the works. I don't know if you're ready to announce anything quite yet. It's yeah, not- I mean, you could go to gravitypodcast.com. Um, I, this, due to me uh, pursuing my dream of becoming a winemaker and being being very inundated with school, the podcast is not was supposed to launch last month, but it's being delayed and hopefully launch next month. But you can still go to the site, and then from there, eventually, um, you'll find information when I have my first podcast. And of course, Tim is going to be a guest on there as well. Uh, Tim and I used to do Gravity Podcast together, that's right. um, and I, that's pretty much it. I, and I also want to plug the places that I freak the most. If you're in the Bay Area, which is the Good Hop and Ordinary Wine. Ordinaire is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So listen in to uh, Krista's podcast and uh, she's using me kind of as the guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is only episode two for me and we're starting to get the bugs worked out. So hopefully she can get hers going, going strong and I'll figure out some of the, some of the issues off the bat for her. <laughs> and together we'll both dominate both our industries. Damn right. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for listening, Krista. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to drink more off air now. Fuck yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.